Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So, brothers and sisters, some really wonderful readings this morning, all kind of Peter-centric, right? A little bit of Thomas in there, but uh, what we have in the Gospel of John, Jesus saying, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe, which Peter then picks up in his epistle. So when you're a student, there, um, you might have to go back. Some of you, it's been a really long time. <laughs> For some of you, you might be in school right now. There are few things more prone to cause anxiety than pop quizzes and tests. And, and pop quizzes are, are annoying at best, right? But tests are where students can really struggle. Laying aside the many shortcomings of standardized testing in our educational system, tests are supposed to challenge you, to make you think. And a good test will draw out of you information that you haven't just learned by rote, but information that you have internalized. Good teachers enable their students to engage with what they're supposed to be learning, but students need to own it and also do the work needed. I remember one time when I was much younger, I knew of a test that was coming, but I didn't study for it. And uh, there's a scripture, you know, that talks about you have the mind of Christ, right? So I would pray that I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ, thinking, oh, let me try this and see if I, don't, if I pass this test. Well, I mean, I didn't get a good grade on the test, right? Because you can't go into class and say, I have the mind of Christ, and then take a test because you're probably going to fail if you haven't prepared. And that's not what that passage of Scripture is talking about anyway. It's not a magic incantation, right, that's going to guarantee a specific set of results. And I didn't do very well at all. I think I maybe squeaked by with maybe a D. So fast forward, right? Many, 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 many years to my time in seminary, I was nearing the end of my second year of learning Hebrew. And Hebrew is a tough language, and it requires a lot of study and memorization. And as we neared closer and closer to the final exam, I kicked my studying into overdrive. And my buddy Cliff, I went to his house, and we took out all of our vocabulary cards. And let me tell you something. If you've ever studied languages and used vocabulary cards, and you've made your own, we had stacks and stacks of, of you know, index cards with Hebrew written on the one side and the meanings written on the other side. We spread those out and we took our notes and our textbooks and we hit the books hard. The day of the final exam came and went and Cliff and I, we, we both wound up passing and we both did pretty well. In that test is where everything we had learned over the previous two years was examined. We had to translate portions from Genesis. We had to break down sentences and vowels and explain their construction, and we had to write down definitions for vocabulary. And the test is where we learn, what we had learned was given a chance to be demonstrated. Had we truly mastered the material, right? That's what a master's degree is. Did, are we mastering the material? Or are we not really engaging with it and letting it change us? And in today's epistle reading from 1 Peter, we see something similar about, test, about testing and what testing does. 
But before, and I know this is the part where everyone's going to raise their hands and say, hallelujah, Pastor Mike's been talking about suffering lately, and now we're going to talk about testing. Great. I can't wait. Now what? What is life going to throw at us now that we're supposed to just, fine, thank you God for this, even though it sucks. Stay with me, right? We're going to get there. In this reading from 1 Peter, we're gonna, he starts off about hope. And he, and he says stuff about inheritance, and he says stuff about it being imperishable and undefiled. So before we get into the testing, we're going to talk about what sustains us in our times of testing before we get to what testing does for us. So in the, the epistle, he talks about our hope, a living hope, and our inheritance. So let's talk about hope and inheritance. So I, I thought it interesting here, St. Peter refers to hope as a living hope. And I thought to myself, well, what's the difference between living hope and, you know, just, I don't know, regular hope or, I don't know, an adjective-less hope? And I think that there is absolutely a difference. So real hope, right, true hope is predicated upon something, right? So if I'm upstairs and I'm studying or reading or writing or making a sermon or something like that, typing it up, if I'm upstairs and all of a sudden... <laughs> I start to smell something really good. And then that smell draws me downstairs. I close my laptop, put my books down. If I go down the stairs and that smell gets better <laughs> and it gets stronger, and I come down and my wife has got something in the oven. If that smells that good, I can have a reasonable and a true hope that what's in the oven is going to taste delicious. And it usually does, right? That, it's a silly example, right? But I can have a true and real hope that what I'm about to eat is going to taste good because it smells good. Real hope is not wishful thinking, right? If I smelled something burning and I came down, I said, you know what, that smells like it's burning, but I'm going to hope that that didn't burn. And then I sit down and if I ate it, if it was burnt, guess what? It would taste burnt. Wishful thinking masquerades and hides itself as hope, but wishful thinking has no power in it whatsoever, and it keeps us from seeing life or the tests of life or the situations that come up in our lives. It keeps us from seeing them as they are, but what they wish or imagine they could be. But biblical hope, or as St. Peter here says, living hope, it is active. It is not dead. It has something undergirding it that elevates it above wishful thinking or other types of hope what grounds the christian hope our living hope and transforms it is the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and now notice here saint peter doesn't say living hope comes through a feeling of gladness right because in some circles christ's true and bodily resurrection from the dead is seen as something that we don't really have to affirm. That was just mysticism and superstition from an age that believed in those sort of things. But now we know better because we're modern people or we're postmodern people or we're late modern people, whatever term you want to attach to that. And we know that miracles really don't happen. So Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They just felt like he did. And that feeling like he did <laughs> led them to give their bodies up to, to death, right? which is garbage, which is garbage. Christ truly rose from dead because if Christ is not truly bodily risen, 
then everything we have is in vain. I saw a quote this morning from my friend, Father Andrew, from the great uh, church historian, Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, formerly of Yale before he passed away. He says, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. But if Christ is risen, then nothing else, then nothing matters. Christ has been raised from the dead. And the fact of his resurrection is the grounding of their hope and of our hope. And as a living hope, this hope is empowered by the one who rose from death. And if it's empowered by the one who rose from death, does that mean then that that hope can ever die? No. If Christ is raised then the hope that is found in and through him, it cannot die and it cannot be defeated regardless of anything that happens to us. Whether we contract the coronavirus or cancer or our kidneys fail or we get the flu or you go and you, I don't know, somehow you contract Ebola virus or you fall and you break your leg or your back or your arms or something. Whatever happens to us, the hope that we have in Christ cannot be defeated. This hope through the resurrection of Jesus is our reception of our inheritance. It's the ground of the reception of our inheritance. Now we have to be careful here because when we think of inheritance, we often think of things like real estate or money that's been bequeathed to us. But Jesus not only bequeath our inheritance to us through his death, but also through his resurrection. He shows us that we will receive the inheritance. Now, there are a lot of people, a lot of people, who take this language and inheritance, and they mix it with Old Testament passages devoid of their actual meaning. They interpret this inheritance to mean that part of our inheritance is our receiving physical health and financial miracles. Now, God can do these things for us. He can health, give us healthy bodies. He can give us healing in times of pain. He can provide for us when things get tight. He's done it for me. I'm sure he's done it for you. But our inheritance is greater than temporal material goods that will not last. And this has been on my mind a lot lately in response to what's going on with COVID-19 and the coronavirus because there's been a lot of Christian weirdness going on out there who have this idea of this inheritance, meaning we can have this, this stuff now, right? We can have perfect health and, 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 and finances and all that stuff, right? It grounds a lot of this Christian weirdness, right? One guy pronounced judgment on the virus and positively confessed a vaccine would manifest immediately. Well, it hasn't, and the virus is still around, still rages on. Another prominent pastor, uh, TV pastor, he took the word sickness from Proverbs 18, verse 14, and then checked the word for sickness versus an Aramaic word for sickness from a fourth century Targum, which are Aramaic interpretations of the Hebrew scriptures made by rabbis. And then the Aramaic word, guess what that sounds like? Corona. So because that word, <laughs> the Aramaic word that he used for sickness to translate it from the Hebrew and Aramaic sounds like the word corona. Oh my gosh, hidden in the Proverbs, they're prophesying and telling us about corona. No, 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 no. Garbage. Brothers and sisters, this is nonsense. And in this time, our hope 
needs to rest, not in misusing Jewish interpretation of Hebrew words in order to teach people they can be spiritually protected. No, our hope rests in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is unfading. Let's take a look at what these three words mean. So the first one, our inheritance is imperishable, right? So when you think to yourself, what is imperishable? Imperishable means not liable to decay. It means uncorrupted. So our inheritance is not able to decay. Now let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. What decays? What is corruptible? Well, everything, right? Looking around here at this church, one day, hopefully millennia from now, this will not be here. These pillars won't be here. This pulpit won't be here. The chancel won't be here. I won't be here. Steve, Ray, and Sandy, who are joining me and helping us with services, they won't be here. We will all have decayed. This church will have decayed. No matter how well things are engineered, no matter the building construction materials that we use, everything will decay, including our bodies. But let me ask you something. What does not decay? What does not decay is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We heard it in the call to worship this morning in Psalm 16:10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see what? Corruption. The incorruptibility of our inheritance rests on the incorruptibility of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Undefiled. Undefiled means free from contamination. In the Hebrew Scriptures, sin is something that defiles the whole community because God dwells in the community. So for God's presence to remain in the community, sin must be excised from the community through atonement, right? That's what keeps the community pure. Our inheritance, brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, is free from anything that can defile it. Sin cannot get at it and never will. Then he says our inheritance is unfading. This means, a commentator says this, this denotes perpetuity, right, ongoing forever, in the sense that everything there will be kept in its original brightness and beauty. So imagine this, right? Everything fades, even the stars that you can, that you can see. Is that, like, so our sun is a star, and if I get the physics of this wrong, please you know, correct me. But from what I understand about physics, which is not a lot, our sun is a star. We all know that. But one day, our sun will die. One day, they say billions of years from now, it's a nice, beautiful yellow star. It's going to then turn into a red star. I don't know what happens, and I guess our planet turns into Krypton or whatever. I have no idea, right? But the sun will go through stages, and eventually the brightness of our sun will go out. It will be extinguished. And if I'm, I might be incorrect about this, but, and then as part of that process, it turns into, I think, a black hole, right? Which is a, a gravitational force so powerful, nothing can escape it, not even light. So our sun will go from this beautiful, bright, radiant source of warmth and life. Even that will fade away. But what will never fade away? Our inheritance. It will never dull or dim. Long after the sun goes out, should Christ tarry that long, 
our inheritance will never fade. And this inheritance is laid up in heaven for us, right? So if it's laid up in heaven for us, then it's free from anything that would try to steal it or to stop it. It is secure and guarded, and it is kept there for you. And part of the way we then acquire this inheritance, right, which is our own resurrection in Christ, as St. Peter calls it at the end of this, this, these passages, obtaining the salvation of our souls, which is our resurrection, we obtain it through times of testing. So we know that the community St. Peter is writing to has met with some difficulty. They have met with trials. To be a Christian, especially back then, it was fraught with many different dangers because to be a Christian was to essentially shun acts and shun devotions that everyone else around them would have done because there was no separation of church and state. It was all kind of just mixed together, right? So because Christians wouldn't perform acts of devotion, they were actually seen as atheists. They were seen as troublemakers because the way they lived was at such odds with the surrounding culture. To be a Christian was to invite difficulty, which included persecution, and this ranged from torture to imprisonment and martyrdom. So notice here, though, St. Peter notes something odd to us. It says that they are rejoicing in their trials. And the reason why they're rejoicing in the middle of their trials is so that the, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. They realize that what is happening to them is working something out in them. Faith in Christ costs something in that it confronts us with the reality of living in his kingdom as his people. Like the tests that we take at school when we meet hardships, when we meet trials, when we meet temptations and difficulties, it kicks up what's really inside of us, what we truly believe, what we truly value, what we truly orient our life around. When something bad happens, what and who do we run to for support first? But what is special about the community St. Peter is writing to is that in their moment of testing, in their moment of trial, they are rejoicing in the middle of it because what awaits them is greater than their current situation. What awaits them is greater than their current situation, their inheritance that is undefiled, that is incorruptible, is greater than what they're going through right now. So even death cannot stop them from receiving the inheritance. If the hope is living, and all of this is grounded on the resurrected body of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Then our death cannot stop it because we will rise like Christ. I think of St. Polycarp, arrested for being a Christian and refusing to deny Christ, saying, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Going to his death, a martyr. They lit him on fire and he didn't burn, so they had to stab him to death. I think of St. Ignatius, who, who was arrested and was sent to Rome to be executed. He wrote to the churches saying, I am the weed of God. Let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. I think of St. Peter himself, 
leaving Rome because they were seeking to arrest and execute him, he sees Jesus in a vision entering into Rome. And realizing what this meant, he turned around, returned into the city to die like his savior. Because they understood in a way we never will that what awaits them is greater than anything that's going on in their lives, right? Even their own death. Their own death cannot stop their reception of the inheritance that Christ has kept in heaven for them. And brothers and sisters, we will probably never be faced with what they faced. And our lives, though difficult, will probably never have to make choices that they made. But we're called in our own day and time to make the choice in our own way, to rejoice in our trials, even if our trials and our sufferings lead us to the cross. Because like the church St. Peter is writing to, we have not seen Christ like St. Peter did, and like the apostles did, and like Thomas did, right? I'm never going to be able to put my hands into the side of Christ. I'm never going to be able to put my fingers where the nails were. I'm never going to be able to, to look at his skull and see the marks where the crown of thorns were. I'm never going to be able to see his back and see the scars from where he was whipped. But not seeing that, I still believe, and I still love, and I still trust. And if we do that like they did, like St. Peter did, if we love Christ and trust Christ anyway, then like Christ, if we rejoice in our tribulations and tests and our trials as we endure them, regardless of where it leads us, regardless of what happens to us, and it's not always going to work out for the best for us, we will receive the incomparable, the indescribable, the ineffable inheritance that awaits all of us, our own salvation, the resurrection of our bodies in the, likenesses, in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, to who is due all glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, or on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email at malandsman at gmail.com or through our social media page, like I just mentioned. If you could take a couple minutes, we would appreciate it if you went to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash savezionstone, in order to donate towards some big repairs that we need to have done to the church. So if you could donate anything, we would greatly appreciate it. If you're in the area, come worship with us. Our services are at 1015 and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. Thank you so much again for listening. May God bless you.